And good morning, everybody. Welcome in to the Highland Talk Friday edition, almost at the weekend. I am Sam King, just joined always by my friend, Mitch Wolf. Mitch, Friday, weekend, almost here. How was your week? Uh, you know, Sam, birthday week was fun, but I'm moving in Sunday. Classes start ramping up this week as drop ended. I'm happy we're almost there. Got a bit more today to do before I'm satisfied. And we got some fun games ahead of us and we got some fun topics today. We got a face-off Friday. We're starting with the NHL and we got some football later on. But Sam, let's get started right away with the NHL. So today's- We have a brand new segment for you guys. Today, we're going to focus on the 16 teams currently outside the playoff picture in the NHL. And this is called, How Down Are You? Down in the dumps, to be precise. Here's how it's working. We're going to go all six teams outside the playoff picture. We're going to be trying to make this a little brief. And we're going to make to put them into three categories. Are they down bad? Meaning, are they in a good position this year and beyond? Are they down? Meaning, is this season lost? But, but they're still not have a chance. And are they down and rising and they're still, they, they still have an outside or inside shot to get a playoff spot? So, okay. Sam, let's start right away. Let's start with the Philadelphia Flyers currently sitting at 13, 22, and 8, 34 points, last of the Metro. Um, they are down bad. Mitch, they lost 13 straight games. They have, they, they, this losing streak is the same amount of wins that they have. They're an absolute mess. Now, this team and beyond, they made a lot of offseason acquisitions that didn't work out for them. Currently, worst, for, worst losing streak in franchise history. Right now, the longest losing streak in NHL history, Sabres in 2021, and the 2003 Pittsburgh Penguins at 18. We'll see if they reach that. But Claude Drew is probably on his way out. He will probably be traded at the deadline, and I think a full reboot is coming in Philadelphia. Yeah, Mike Yo is currently a placeholder for them after they fired Ole Vigneault. I don't know if he's going to stick around beyond this year, but likely this isn't being a right-in-the-ship scenario. I've seen them play my Islanders the past, like, three games in the past couple weeks. Like, every time the Islanders made a stupid play, you're, like, thinking that logically when you give up a puck in the top of your offensive zone where a defenseman should be able to shoot, someone should come in the slot and put it in the net. <laughs> And they fumbled the puck about four times in that situation. So the Flyers are a mess right now. They are down bad. They need to get their stuff back together. And right, we're talking, Carter Hart hasn't been great either. Save percentage. Okay, GAA record is bad, but that's more of a reflection on his team than on him. Yes, 100%. All right, Mitch, next team, Montreal Canadiens. Worst in the Atlantic with 23 points. Worst, worst in the NHL. Worst in the NHL. NHL. And we're record in the NHL at 8-27-7. and seven. Mitch, how down are they? They're down bad. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> talk about a steep decline. And I know we referenced this team so much on the Highlands Hawk. Another 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe, if you would. Right? You, go, you, go, you make it as far as you can. Made it to the Stanley Cup final. Get demolished by the Lightning. Somehow they beat Vegas last year. But, like, again, Carey Price can steal series. He's not been there. Suzuki is their leading point getter at 24 points in... What is that? Uh, 42 games. 42. That's yeah. not a great ratio. Uh, they've lost six, leading their score. lost like six of their last seven. They got to get their stuff together. They really have to find out how they're going to build that team long-term. Next up, Ottawa Senators, 13, 20, and four with 30 points. How down are they? Uh, they're down. Not really. Da- I would put them down bad, but they have assets and they had a lot of high draft picks in recent years. Right, currently 27th in GAA and 21st in gold scored. They need help all over. Ba- uh, Batherson, before he got the elbow those faced by Dell, was playing amazingly, was their all-star. Next franchise corner, cornerstone with Josh Norris, right? 
This team stars Brady Chuck. Kachuk, uh, they had a lot of high draft picks from the Eric Carlson trade, among others in past years. And they'll continue building throughout the draft and be able to build something nice up in Ottawa in the years to come. Next up, the Buffalo Sabres. How at, down are they? At 13-22-7 with 33 points. How down are they? Oh, they're down bad. Uh, I just mentioned Drake Batherson and Aaron Dell. Aaron Dell, what were you thinking, right? Throwing an elbow <laughs> guy like marginally coming to you, Chris. I think that should have been more than a three-game suspension. If I was any player on the Senators, I would have knocked him out on the on the ice afterwards. Like, that's just disrespectful <laughs> behavior. And I have to talk to my friends who are goalies about the situation because Sam and I have at least one or two friends who have played goalie over the They're years. They're up in arms. They are up in arms. <laughs> I don't think they would have, like, morally ever done that to someone, regardless of how much the opposing skater was getting on their nerves. Uh, they don't really have anything. They trade away their top player. Obviously, Eichel didn't want to be there, and he was hurt. They got an okay package back, but, like, not Sam Tuch and like a, a couple picks, not in one prospect, not much in terms of like franchise building blocks. They they have to overpay people to come there. So they're losing cap phase. And a little bit of compensate that for his drafting well. They're not really doing that. Their bottom, obviously, you have Rosmus Dalin, probably your best player long term. You've traded away Rest Line, you've traded away Eichel. They're bottom five in both goals against and goals four. And they're middle of the pack and power play. But frankly, if you're not scoring anyways, the power play only helps you even draw. And the thing with the Sabres, I really feel like they're one of these organizations that are so poorly run from the bottom up. I mean, you mentioned the fans, the problem. They play in a place where the Bills are, like, the hottest team in town. It's so hard to get Rightfully so. Rightfully so, the Bills are the hottest team in town in Buffalo. Right, but it's just so hard to get a market there. Like, And you have to say that overpaid just for people to come here. Like, the Jeff Skinner contract is one of the worst contracts in hockey. And yeah, and you see, just, that, you see that a lot with small market teams, especially – cap leagues are not cap leagues, right? How am I attracting someone – when I don't have good structure, when I don't have a good team, and I'm not a desirable location, you have to yeah, pay them more. Buffalo, yeah, Buffalo, get your crap together. Um, <laughs> next up, New Jersey Devils, 15, 22, and 5 at 35 points, sitting, I believe, 7, 6 in the Metropolitan. Mitch, how down are they? I believe they're 7th, but they are down. I don't think they're down bad because they have they, – they're building something. They have a couple cornerstones in that roster, right? Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer. They saw P.K. Subban for what's worth. And Dougie Hamilton's a beast. They just brought him in last year. That contract is looking like one of the better ones. Uh, they real they really haven't done much. Their bottom five in both goals, four and goals against their their uh, and to be honest, their goaltending is really the problem, right? For a team that had the best goalie of all time for 15 to 20 years in Martin Brodeur, to have to have the fifth worst goals against average of Mackenzie Blackwood, they need to figure out a way to get the goaltending situation fixed. Interesting. Maybe we'll see them in the trade market. Maybe, maybe, I feel like they. I think free agent, I think free agency is more likely a play for them. We'll see what happens there. Number team number six, the New York Islanders, 15, 15, and six, 36 points. To disclaimer, the Islanders didn't have not played as many games as everybody else. So we'll take this like we'll take this with a grain of salt. But Mitch, how down are the New York Islanders? The Islanders are down right now. I don't think they're down bad. Obviously, the farm system is not great. Right by the Athletic is 31st currently. So they don't have assets there because they've traded a lot of their first-round picks for players in recent years. Pajot, Palmieri, Zajac, among others. I really think the island, my Islanders got screwed. To be honest, the 13 games with no like long road trip was brutal, but that was going to happen. And they went 5-6-2 at the beginning of the season. What really screwed them is the whole COVID situation because they were the first team to get it. The NHL forced the Islanders to play about 10 to 15 games with an AHL roster, and that really screwed them. 
and that injuries happen, but like the Murphy's law happened with the Islanders this year. Uh, the center depth is great. Still Barzal, Nelson, Pajot, Zeker, and no one's getting moved there. Defense needs to improve. You have your top line locked in, even though Ryan Pollock's been out. Adam Pollock finally got his first all-star appearance. Goaltending of Sorokin long-term. He's current, like between Sorokin and Varley, the Islanders are the fifth best goals against average, but worse than goals for. You need to score. It's clear where the problem is. You need wings, right? Yeah. You need to figure out who you got to trade, whether it's a Josh Bailey, but that while well, that emotionally would be hard, should have left a mix, should have left him expendable instead of Eberly, who's now an all-star with the Kraken. Palmieri was a bad deal. Parise hasn't I panned out. It's, it's right. They're not down bad because they have a lot of pieces in place and the season just got to enhance for them. They're the only team right now projected by CBS sports in the Eastern conference who is not in the playoffs with a greater than 1% chance of making it as of last night. And that's surely the fact that they've played between four and eight games less than every other playoff team, but it's a really uphill battle if they want to even make a push. I think a guy that will out for in the trade market, Kyle Shifley, Kyle Connor, the Winnipeg Jets, he could be in play in terms of like looking for wing help, but also the Islanders are a could team sell. that could sell yeah. veterans on rentals, Dan O'Chara, Zach Parise, among others. But the thing is with the Islanders, they're a team that we saw how talented they are and how well run they are. I mean, Lou Lamoretto, Barry Trotz are some of the best in the game. And this team made it all the way to the conference finals. Two years, two years in a row. Two years in a row. Took the line to seven games. This team has a talent. Just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Islanders this season. And it was not entirely their fault. So that's where we're putting them right now. Yep. Mitch. All right. The Arizona Coyotes, Sam. Currently 27 and four. Worst in the Western Conference. The Coyotes have, oh, have been a mess for a while now, and they still are. Their arena situation is a very much probably thing they're going to play at ASU Stadium. Come, five, by the way, that's only a 5,000-seat stadium. It's a college stadium. Like, we don't have uh, a record they probably, they probably won't even fill that because yeah. that's how, that's how yeah. bad it is. Like, your arena at UMass, how many, how many people can it set? Probably like 7,000. Yeah, and you guys fill that. They're not going to fill yeah. that at ASU next year. Yeah. <laughs> So, so they're last in the West. I'm moving up anytime soon. They're second in Pelly Mills. They're very impulsive. And, like, Pelly Mills can fight your team's a little scrappy, but, like, doing that when you already know you're going to lose, put yourself team on the penalty kill. And the penalty kill is not flawless either. But they're second to last in goals per game. It doesn't help either. But, however, I do think, given the benefit of the doubt, Clayton Keller is somebody to look out for. I just think the Coyotes are also one of those teams that are very not well run from the bottom, from an Top organizational down. standpoint. Yeah, Top down, they're really not well run. The executive branches failed this team many times after they made the playoffs in the bubble a year ago. And they were solid, and they trade Taylor Hall. They tra- Castle is still. Why does every team he wonder? Why does Taylor Hall get traded from every every team who tr- either trades him or trades for him winds up getting the first overall pick? That's just the it's nature ridiculous. of it. It's. But yeah, Clayton Keller is somebody to look out for. He is, I think, could be a very solid player in this league for a while. But the Coyotes are an absolute mess, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. All right. The Edmonton Oilers currently sitting at 20-16-2, 42 points. I believe they're sitting a couple spots out in the Western Conference right now. They're probably fourth or fifth in the Pacific. I know they're somewhere yeah. in that range. Sam, what do we have on them? What do you have on them? Okay, this is our first team that is down and rising. The Edmonton Oilers, I think, are the one of the biggest disappointments of the season. And look, they had Conor McDavid, they have Leon Draisaitl, and Mitch. They just got Evander Kane. His offense is already stacked. 
Bianca is forced to be regular with, and given Edander Kane, that's a boost that they got. They signed him for, I believe, one minimum year, two mil, and we'll see if Kane's off the ice issues. We'll continue to play him. He was very not liked in San Jose and throughout the league. But again, this situation with the Oilers, the goaltending always has been a still an issue. Mike Smith not being there, their goaltenders have been like, on an average over three goals a game. That is not how you win games, especially the Oilers or a team that could win the shootout, but you can't, you can only do that for so long. And yeah. their offense is ridiculous 11 in the goals per game, fifth in power play goals. This is a force we're racking with. I would not be surprised if we're talking about them in terms of a playoff contender in a few weeks. Yeah, especially since the Pacific Division outside of Vegas really doesn't have much playoff experience in recent years or the talent that the Oilers do on that roster. And frankly, they still have two of the top three or five candidates for the Hart Trophy and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And either of those guys, you know, to have won, have, they've won the past two hearts. They could go out and handle a game. And when you have one of those guys on the ice and basically, right, they're, they're not, whether they play on the same line or not most of the time, if they're not playing on the same line, you have both those guys out for 40 minutes of the game, basically. I wouldn't want to mess with that. Right. Okay, Mitch. Next team, Vancouver Canucks. 19, uh, nine and five and 43 points. I got yeah, them right. down. I, I got them down. Not, not down bad, right? They just hired a new GM. Their goal, they have to score, right? Their goaltending is 12th, right? But 12th, 28th in goals four ain't going to get you anywhere in the playoffs. Yeah, Vancouver also has some really nice pieces. Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes. They have some young pieces that are not going to kick them in that, in that direction. But yeah. we'll see what happens there. Mitch, the new Seattle Kraken. 14, 25, and 40, and four, 32 points. How down are they? I have them down bad. And this is mainly because, like, our last expansion was Vegas and they went to a cup final their first year, right? Because people saw what happened with Vegas and the moves that George McPhee was able to make in order for that for them to build a roster that they have right now and build up that sustained success. The Kraken got no deals in the expansion draft. Teams were smarter about who they were protecting. So in terms of the, the blue chip prospects, they didn't really get that many. They're currently sitting at the second worst goals against average. And that's going to continue to be a problem until they figure that out. And I think they're going to be at the bottom for a couple of years before they actually have a shot at making the playoffs. So I'm going to disagree with you. I think they're down. Like you said, they're going to be down for a few years. But I think the Kraken, like, it's their first year. And they have cast space to play with this offseason. We'll see what they do with it. I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, it's their first year. They're growing pains. We'll see what happened. Vegas was very much a special case. So, we're not always going to get that all the time. So, we have to really see what happens. So, that, that's my opinion on the Kraken. All, all right, right, Mitch. Chicago, Chicago Blackhawks. We got them at 16, yeah. 20, and 7, 39 points of 43 games. We have them down but not out because the Western Conference still has a lot more flexibility and that a lot of teams haven't secured and separate from the pack. They're currently seven points out, which is not likely to make a run. They're also the second least for goals for at 2.38, which is per game, which is not a lot. Obviously, you still have the aging superstars and future Hall of Famers and Kane and Taves, and you signed Seth Jones and Alex the Brooking Cat. Is fourth in the league in goals, by the way. Yeah. He's been amazing for them. Again, they're not out, but seven points out when you don't have games in hand is very hard to make up. They have the fire firepower to make a run, though, especially yep. the way the Brink has been playing. Seth Jones is always a threat to the score for, to, like, get something done from the blue line. They are very – and the Blackhawks, again, are always still – they've also been – like, they had all this turmoil from the, from the scandal of the season. It'd be kind of nice for them to make a run to, like, get back on the road terms. 
Okay, Mitch, Columbus Blue Jackets currently sitting at 19-21-1 with 39 points after a win against – my mistake actually sitting at 41 points with 20-21-1 after a win over the Rangers last night. Mitch, how's out of the Columbus Blue Jackets? I have them down, and it's not because they're a bad team. I mean, they're, their goals against average – their goalies have not been playing well. They're the worst in the league. Their power play is second worst. Realistically, they're not making the playoffs because, as I've talked about the Eastern Conference, and we're getting more to this when we do more Eastern Conference demand the playoff teams – they are the closest right now to a spot, but they're still 11 points back. And be 11, nine points back now. Because of that, and you don't have games in hand to make up, you're really pigeonholing yourself and betting on one of Washington or Boston to fall off the face of the earth for the next coming months, or both. And that's very hard to happen for a team just to go on a five or 10 game losing streak and another team to catch lightning at the same time. So I have them down. They have the pieces there to go make a run next year. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So I have them down on the rise because Columbus has shown they can make, they can like surprise us all. Every year they find a way to surprise us all. Playoffs, regular season, they find a way to sneak in. And I think they'll do it again just this year. Just my gut feeling tells me that I, every time I bet against the Blue Jackets, they surprise me. The Lightning series. And I feel like they're in a position like I have my concerns about the Bruins and I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of go on a bit of a losing streak. They're not the Bruins goaltending has not been that strong. They have a lot of flaws and that could be exposed when it comes down towards playoff time. So I have them down on the rise. Okay. Mitch, Detroit Red Wings having a very surprising season. Revival there right now. They're currently sitting at Detroit Red Wings currently sitting at a bit of technical difficulty, sitting at 18, 19, and 6 with 42 points. They are currently the one team that is closest to a wild card spot, and they've had a revival after being down in the dumps for a while now. Mitch, how down are the Detroit Red Wings? Again, we have them down on the rise, not as much as for this year, other than the fact that they're close, because they have they've built they've built up a piece on that roster. Right, Lucas Raymond is a star in the making, likely to call their favorite. Right, that right now they are bottom five in all for, in goals for goals against and power play percentage. So the odds of them going on a run right here aren't likely, but they just happen to be the closest to the Eastern Conference and anything can happen. So it'd be interesting to see, as this is our last Eastern Conference team, we're wrapping CBS Sports right now, the only team out on the outside of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference with a greater than 1% chance of making the playoffs based on their projection is the Islanders of 5.6% as of last night, sheerly on the fact that they have four to eight games at hand in every playoff team. Mitch, Dallas Stars sitting at 22-16-2, 46 games, currently on a four-game win streak, bringing themselves back into the mix after a very bad start to the season. How down are they? Uh, they're down on the rise. They're still firmly in the mix in the Central and in the wild card race in the Western Conference. John Klingberg obviously wants out, and their stars are getting older, but they're the fourth-pass power play, not to mention that Joe Pavelski's been on a tear these past couple of weeks. Uh, J.B. Ben and Tyler Sagan also still there. They can definitely make a run. My concern is Braden Holpe in that. He's had a down season, and Kudobin's not been playing. Like, well, Kudobin's no longer a thing anymore. And Braden Holpe hasn't been himself in for, as of late. So, we'll, it's going to see how that works out. Okay, down to the two teams left. Mitch, Winnipeg Jets, sitting at 17, 16, and 7, 41 points. Eighth in the Central. Mitch, how down are they? We have them down, not down bad necessarily, but we could, they're kind of there, right? Yeah. Second worst in the league in penalty kill. 
Their defense hasn't been playing well, and Hellebuck's having the worst season of his career. They're not making a run right now. Yeah, pretty much where they're at. And our final team, San Jose Sharks, sitting at 22-19-2, 46 points, tied with Calgary for a wild card spot, but they currently believe they had a tiebreaker with Calgary. That means they're out of the, out of the mix. Mitch, how down are the San Jose Sharks? We have them down the rise, and that's really us betting on them keeping this team together and not blowing up the depth. They could theoretically think they have an outside look and they're not going to make another, and they're not going to be able to continue up their pace and just go sell off Timo Meyer and Logan Couture and then go reload for next year. But right now, Timo Meyer, 47 points in 43 games. Tom, Tomas Hurdle, Logan Couture playing well. Still have Brett Birds and Eric Carlson there. Goaltending is going to be an issue for them. Have. How scary to know that we got Brett Burns and Eric Carlson on one line. Like that is They haven't done anything since Carlson's been there, though. So Right, yeah. Ottawa, won, like Ottawa won that trade. They paid him, and Ottawa won that trade. It's crazy. And that will do it for our first ever down, down in the dumb segment. Tune in. Well, maybe we will definitely be seeing more of the segment at some point. That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with this. But now, let's get in. Before we get into our coveted NFL championship review. Let's break into some breaking news. First Let's up. Start with the Chicago Bears, right, Sam? Uh, Ryan Poles, by the way, did the whole GM, the whole head coach search by himself. Ownership had no saying they were not happy about it, but he hired Matt Eberfluss, the Colts DC, as the new Bears head coach. Finished in the top 10, scoring three times, including being timed for ninth in 2021 at 25 points per game. Sam, what do you think about this hire? What, do you, what, what are your thoughts? So I've always been a fan of Iberflus. These Colts defenses over the years have always been consistently good. They have some great pieces. But my confusion was that aren't the Bears' issues offense? Isn't their defense been top 10 in the league since Maggie took over? So I'm not saying Iberflus isn't a good coach, but I'm confused by the hire in the sense that I really thought they were going to go offensive guy, try to find a guy who can develop Justin Fields. So that's why I'm sort of confused by this higher why I sort of chose to go defense, even though that is a strength of them. And Iberflus is still great at what he does. That's my confusion with the higher. Yeah, it's weird. And we look at who are the offensive minded head coaches that were available, right? Brian Dable is rumored to be the favorite for both the Giants and Miami. He will likely be hired by one of those two teams within the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Bill O'Brien is not really getting head coaching looks. Byron Lefwich likely hired in Jacksonville, but we'll get, obviously that's on the list. Uh, Kellen Moore has not been rumored to any jobs. There weren't that many. And were they really going to take, take a chance on Eric Biamini after doing that literally last time at Matt Nagy? So there weren't that many options offensively. Nathaniel Hackett, we'll get into that in a second. But obviously, they I think they got special teams right, Sam. They hired your boy, Rich Passaccia, to be their special teams coordinator. I think it's a great hire. Obviously, for the, we'll get into the Raiders in a second. But my big concern, as you mentioned, with the Bears is who's going to be that OC? Who are you? I agree. That's Who a, are you bringing exactly in to be your OC? Exactly. You said, we talked about, you have the coach, but you need to find a guy that's going to develop Justin Fields. If this is the direction you're going to, you need to do this right. Or you're going to go trade for Russell Wilson or someone else, right? Like, unless you're going to, but even then, you're still going to need someone to run an offense. You need well, I'm rec- curious to see what. They right. need receivers. Think- they need receivers in the offseason. They need, they need a legit one. Maybe the, I don't think they're going to go trade for Calvin Ridley. Maybe Devontae Adams comes into play. Maybe Chris Godwin. Maybe Michael Gallup. Oh, about the Bears receiving court, 
they, they have receivers. Allen Robinson, talent-wise, is a top 12 he's receiver gone. in this league. He's gone. He's probably gone. I don't yes, think he's top 12. Because he had a down season and he had a really bad quarterback situation. So I think Robinson is still very talented. He's played, with, Moody. He's played with worse quarterbacks and done better. So I don't, like, get that. But Darnell Mooney did emerge as a talent this season. He's yes. the true number two receiver. But they need a so, one. They need a one. Right. But what I don't what I don't like about this move is what it means for the Raiders. Mark Davis just killed the Raiders locker room. He did the one, he had one job that was to bring Asache back and not kill locker room morale. He didn't do that. I'm so disappointed in the Raiders for not bringing Asache back because this guy, I love him as a character. He, the locker room loved him. And Mitch, you mentioned, we were talking about this yesterday, Freddie Kitchens, this comparison. I don't, Versace, you can't compare Versace to Freddie Kitchens. Versace's situation was completely different. I'm sorry. And the what he did and what he's going to do, for the Bears, pointed at the Raiders. Shame on you. See, typically in football, you don't block someone for a promotion unless unless you're going to keep them and promote them, right? It's not typical common courtesy to block someone and you don't apply for lateral moves. So I don't know what was going on there. I think the Raiders came to terms that they did not, they either did not want him back as head coach, which I don't think is really the case. I think it's more, they wanted to hire a GM first and let the GM handpick the coach. So rumors are Josh McDaniels is interviewing for the Raiders job seriously. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't like the other candidates. I don't like Jim Harbaugh. I'm not a fan of McDaniels. If you look at McDaniels' coaching career, it hasn't been great. Abysmal. It is abysmal. He he ran away from one job, failed at another Broncos job where he, where he failed with the Broncos from. and ran away from the Colts job with Andrew Luck and Stowe, which is the most ridiculous thing of all time. Now, how many and Belichick assistants have actually done well as a head coach? One. Bill O'Brien. That's it. So I just think I do not want Josh McDaniels. I don't want Jim Harbaugh. I thought Passaccia was the guy, and I'm disappointed in Mark Davis for killing locker room morale because now the team's not going to trust him. And, like, how are you going to get a team to buy into someone after a tumultuous season and not bring back the guy that led to the playoffs after all the madness of last season? I am very upset at this, at this move by the Raiders. Shame on them. I don't think it was so bad, and we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Uh, let's move on to the, the, the other official hire that was made. The Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, former Packers, OC is their new head coach. What does that mean? Like, are we expect? What are we expecting now? Come on, we Aaron Rodgers. Just, I think that just like the deal, the deed has been done. I think that means Aaron Rodgers is officially going to agree to the Denver Broncos. He's Nathaniel Hackett's the number one fan. He supported him in every, in every expedition that he's tried. They're the two. I think come in a package, and I really think that Aaron Rodgers just cements it as say, hey. Denver, I'm coming, and that means he's going to be in the AFC West next year, which is going to be really fun for my Raiders. Fourth worst, fourth best quarterback in the division if he comes. Uh, and part of that is, I think they're definitely the favorite. I don't necessarily know if he's going to wind up going there. Likely, yes. I'd give it like a 60% chance, but that's just gut feeling. I'd also like to think that Hackett might want to draft and develop his own quarterback at nine, right? What if he decides, oh, maybe I want Kenny Pickett, or maybe I want Matt Corral, or maybe I want Malik Willis. And then you don't trade for Rodgers, which then you kind of defeat the purpose because this team is a quarterback away. Give up the picks. If you can, George Patton tends to draft well and has a good reputation for it. Besides for quarterbacks. Besides for quarterbacks, but that was more John Elway than, yeah, that too. 
So again, the Broncos have never drafted quarterbacks well. So, so that brings us to our last person. Big news that probably killed a lot of teams' head coaching searches. Dan Quinn's officially said he's back in Dallas. I think that killed a lot of teams' head coaching searches because he was getting a lot of looks again. And so, Mitch, how would you say this impacts the overall coaching landscape? So, right, so, like, we, we talked about the openings, right? We don't know about the Raiders job yet, even though Mc, the only name to be rumored for interviews is McDaniels, right? We know Hackett has the job in Denver. We know that – we know that Eberflus got the job in Chicago. Byron Leftwich likely getting the job in Jacksonville. That leaves us with openings in Minnesota, with the Giants, with the Dolphins, with the Raiders, with the Texans. And am I forgetting one team? Oh, and the Saints. Right. So we have six openings yeah. left. Quinn was rumored to be in the running for at least two or three of those jobs. Right. For the Giants, it was like if it wasn't going to be Dable or Flores, it was going to be him. Right. So the Giants really have to get this. Like the Giants really now, I think it's Brian Dable or Bus. I don't I don't think they're gonna like hire Brian Flores, like let the Dolphins hire Dable and then hire Brian Flores. I don't I don't think that situation winds up happening for the Giants. Like, and then the Giants, you're gonna, I don't know if you're going to hire Patrick Graham or Leslie Frazier. You might open the search back up again, see who's available. If I'm the Vikings, I'm still likely looking at an Eric Biemini, maybe a Kellen Moore, if Kellen Moore's still available. There's a lot of different options. I think, I think, I think that just means a lot of searches are going to be a lot more wide open than we thought. But I expect to see some clarity, especially with the Giants by tomorrow. They have one final interview with Leslie Frazier today. The, by, by Sunday morning, I expect the Giants to have a head coach in place. The Dolphins likely soon as well. Maybe and maybe the Vikings. The, I think the Saints, the Raiders, and the Texans will take a bit longer. So that'll do it for our NFL head coaching. Carousel continues to roll. A lot of great stuff going on. Only expect more over the next few weeks. But this leads us in to our last, our second last segment, our NFL Championship Week preview. This is Mitch. After what has been an incredible divisional round weekend, we can only expect more of what happened last week. And if that if we get anything similar to that, I'll be satisfied. Here are first, we'll go into our first matchup. The Cincinnati Bengals trying to win their third straight road playoff game. Second road playoff home. game. Third straight playoff game. Two, two second straight road playoff game. Become one of, the, one of four teams with one of the fastest turnarounds from worst to first in NFL history going against the mighty Kansas city chiefs. Let's talk about, let's start with the Bengals. So the Bengals game plan, right? They took, they took nine sacks last week. And you know, the chiefs are going to come at you, get in your face and force you to make mistakes. We saw last week that the Bengals were able to overcome that. They were still were, they got sacked many times, but they forced, they, they did that to the Titans. They forced turnovers and got, and got the ball back. And we're able to sustain drives and all those, et cetera. So what is the game plan for the Bengals if they can't protect Joe Burrow? Right. If they can't protect Joe Burrow, they're in the same situation they were last week, right? Where they're going to keep seeing pressure all the time. He's got to scramble. They're going to have to scheme guys open like they did last week against the Titans, right? A lot of guys get involved. T. Higgins quietly had a good game. Jamar Chase. Uh, Uzama. Uzama. Joe Mixon. They need to get Joe Mixon going, right? They didn't get Mixon going last week. The Chiefs' run defense isn't stout, though. They, it's a funnel defense that should be able to get Mixon going. I need to see more from Tyler Boyd. I haven't seen much from him this postseason. I think he needs to get going. Right. Last time these two teams play, the Bengals won 37-34 in Cincinnati on a last-second field goal. After a great play, by, after, like, great clocksmanship by Zach Taylor, 
Right. We, the other question I have really on the offensive side is they haven't put up a lot of points in this postseason, averaging about 22 a game. Can they put up the 40 points they might need to beat the Chiefs? Right. And we've seen that they haven't finished. The Bengals haven't been that great at finishing off drives this postseason against the Raiders. They had like four trips down to the red zone and resulted in four field goals. One touchdown last week. Yeah, with the Titans as well. They had only one touchdown last week. A lot of field goals against this team like the Chiefs. Why do you think the Bills kept going on for on fourth down last week? You need to score touchdowns to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Field goals will not suffice. And the Bengals defense is stout. They've gone stops when they need to, but they can only hold Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Mahomes, and the entire offense for so long. So I think, to be honest, this Bengals team is capable of putting up 40 points with the potency of this offense. But I think it gets to your point, they need to get the ground game going. Because once they get that ground game going, the Chiefs will need to respect the passing game. It'll open up everything. Yeah, right. The Bills rushed for like 140 yards last week. I th- Josh Allen, like 70, and like Singletary and Moss still had a couple, some jet sweeps. But, right, like we saw the Chiefs defense last week leave Gabriel Davis eight for two at one and four touchdowns, right? Wide someone, open a lot of them also. Someone on the Bengals is, got, is due to get that open. I think it's Tyler Boyd personally, likely T. Higgins also. And, right, defensively, they had three picks on tip passes last week. I don't want to hear another word about Eli Apple because that dude's really annoying and, like, <laughs> played one good game in his career. And, like, every Giants or Saints mean tweet I see out of him, my favorite was like Giants fans, like we'd be, we would have been in the playoffs if we didn't draft you 10th overall. Like that was my favorite one that I saw. <laughs> but right, Mahomes isn't going to make those mistakes. You're going to have to, Jesse Bates is playing well. The secondary played really well last week, right? DJ Redder, DJ Reader's going to have to come up. The Chiefs rushed for over 180 yards against the Bills, number one defense with a stout pat with a stout front four. Right? You're going to have to put pressure on Mahomes. You're going to have to hold them in the run game. Also, you're going to have to get pressure before. We saw this last week with the Bills. They dropped seven into coverage. We're trying to double Hill and Kelsey the whole time. It only did it for so long. But then Hardman, Pringle, Bell, Kinnon, Clyde, all were getting touches and producing. So even if you eliminate those two, you're still going to have to cover the the, uh, third and fourth options. Right, exactly. That's how good this Chiefs offense is. Let's move into the Chiefs for a second. This is their fourth straight AFC championship game. And I believe this is their fourth one at home. Yeah, Mahomes has not played a road playoff game in his career. They have been mm-hmm. 7-1 and one at home in the last four postseasons. The only loss against Brady in 2018. Mahomes' first season on the stupid offsides penalty by D. Ford. Yep. Uh, defense did not play well last week against Josh Allen, but that's also because Brian Dable is a beast in this offense. Was great, but as they as we mentioned, they, they were able to hold Stefan Diggs to three catches for seven yards and a two-point conversion. Right. I and don't know if they're able to do the same to Jamar Chase, but they have to limit him if they want it. their best shot is limiting their best playmaker on the outside of Jamar Chase. I think that I think the health of Teron Matthew is gonna be a big factor because the Chiefs secondary is one of their weak spots. They don't have a shutdown corner. Matthew's like the leader and the anchor of that secondary. If he's still out next week. It's going to be probably easy pickings for those Bengals receivers, unless the Chiefs are able to get pressure. That goes into like the strength of the Chiefs' defense is their front seven, is the Frank Clark's, the Chris Jones, Clark, Mel- the Chris Jones, Melvin Ingram, the Willie, Willie Gays, and Nick Bolton. Boltons. They got to get, they've had fun. But also, not to mention, last time they played, Jamar Chase went for 11 receptions, 266 yards, and three scores. 
they got to find a way to stop him if they can't, right? Like even in that game, T Higgins went up for like a hundred yards on nine or 10 catches or close to it. You got to find Mixon also went off. You And like last time they played the chiefs defense, the chiefs offense could not score. Yeah. You found ways to score with 13 seconds left against the bills to put yourself in position to play overtime last week. If you're Mahomes, I got to find a way to, I got to get one of Hill's, Kelsey or Hill open, right? Like that touchdown Hill scored last week where they, where he forced a corner inside. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? Where like they had that double yeah. with the help on the outside yes, the corner, yes, forced them yes. in on, on a corner route, on like a crossing route. And Hill just burned them. You got to find yeah. plays like that. Get Kelsey open. Get Nicole Hardman more involved. Get the running. Like if you can get McKinnon going, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Clyde has been great when he's been in there. Byron Pringle's been a help. Bell's been great in the in the in the run game. Um, and what we see in the Chiefs is Mahomes' amazing ability to extend plays. You talked about how you beat the Chiefs. You get to them early. You get to Mahomes early. You gotta keep him off the field. Go. You gotta keep him off the right. field. That's that's the best defense. You get the guy off the field, and the, the best defense is in some cases even a good offense. That is the, the best from the Bengals standpoint. Yeah, and that's what. The Chiefs, if they're able to sustain drives for a long period of time and just wear down this Bengals D, I see no reason why the Bengals, why the Chiefs can walk away easily with a win. So, uh, who you got winning this game, Sam, and why? You know me. Last week, we both wanted to pick the underdog. We regret not doing it. I want to pick Cincinnati, but I can't bet against Mahomes in the playoffs. The way he's playing right now, he's just playing on a whole nother level. He's like showing that, like, hey guys, I'm still the best quarterback in the league. And I just I can't bet against the Chiefs at home. So I'm taking the Chiefs in this one. I'm gonna take the Chiefs as well. I don't really see a situation. The only way I see there's two ways I see it happening. You get a hundred yards. The Bengals just goes God mode. That's how I see they win. They gotta get a hundred yards on the ground and control time possession with Joe Mixon. And Jamar Chase has got to go off again. I don't think both those things happen. I, th- I think Chris Jones has a handful of sacks. I think the Chiefs defense gets four or five overall. I don't think they pick off Burrow, but I think they limit the damage that can be done. The Bengals' best chance to win this game is either where they get up early in a shootout or they can do it against the Titans last week and just force them and, and force them out of the end zone. That's going to be very hard to do with the best offense in football in terms of overall talent. The Bengals have better the- weapons, but I still think Mahomes is the best player on the field. And I want him on the f- – and it's going to come down the last drive and Mahomes will win. And nonetheless, Mitch, whatever happens, hats off to Cincinnati for making this far. Joe oh, Burrow absolutely. just put Joe Burrow probably just put himself in the conversation for a top ten, like a top ten quarterback in the top league. five. Top, I, he's been playing incredible. Like we we talk about Joe Burrow, how he's playing like a seasoned vet. He looks. They call him Joe Cool. He looks because it's it's true. He looks so calm, confident, and collective out there. There's just a certain maturity that you really don't find. That's rare to find in the NFL nowadays. He's a real leader, and I'm so excited to see what he's going to do with in this league for years to come. That's also, I think, in part the fact that he came out of college as a senior at like 22, is now like 25 in his third season, second 24, 25 in his second season, and he's much more mature than the second year quarterback we typically see. Like Lamar Jackson's not even that age yet. <laughs> okay, Mitch, this brings us to our second game. The third episode of Niners and Rams. The Niners currently 6-0 against the Rams since 2019. And the big question with the Niners is, will they be healthy enough to win this game? Right. We saw Debo, Trent Williams, and uh, George Kittle all get injured last week. 
Kittle and Debo have both been practicing and we're the injury report. Trent Williams has not practiced an ankle injury this week. He's the best tackle in football. If they can get him healthy, that's huge. You're going to be facing havoc from Aaron Donald and Von Miller all day long. Leonard Floyd, among others, you got to get this line health. You got to get him healthy and you got to run your game. I think, I think Trent Williams will play. I, I don't see a situation where he doesn't necessarily play. He hasn't practiced. Like if he can get to like limited or like questionable, like limited participant, maybe in practice. Like if he gets a DMP today, I don't, I, I don't see him playing, but limited, limited in practice, I think would definitely be a part. And my bigger question and, is, yes, Sam, continue. Yeah. I was about to ask, like special teams won't necessarily be able to bail them out this time. So this goes probably to your next point. Like, what's Niners' path to victory? And that brings me to your next question. And we said this at the beginning of the postseason. They will go as far as Jimmy G can take them, right? Like, he hasn't played well in the playoffs so far. They need him to be better. Obviously, they're like 10-2 and two when he doesn't throw a touchdown, which is most absurd thing. But the Rams are not going to find a way to not score points on you. You're not going to be able to win this game in LA 13-10. You have beaten them every time you've played in since 2019. Somehow, some way, Kyle Shanahan just owns his assistance. He owns Sean McVay, right? Just straight up owns Sean McVay. I think that's possible that Jimmy G has a get-right game, but the benefit of the 49ers' top offensive weapon being Debo Samuel is that he's not a typical outsider slot receiver. So Jalen Ramsey is not moving around to cover him all the time. you got to scheme him Mm -hmm. open. You have to scheme – I mean, Taylor Rapp's going to be on Kittle. You're going to have to scheme those two guys open. You have to find ways to get Ayuk involved. Use, use check, use Elijah Mitchell in the passing game. You have to find ways to get your guys open. Put Jimmy G in position to succeed. Shanahan's done a good job of it. Whether the execution on Jimmy G's part has been there is what really comes to He made some atrocious throws last week. He made atrocious throws, but frankly, we've seen him go, we've seen him go to the Super Bowl before. I'm not worried. Yes. So and he's pretty close when it comes to wanna... Continue. The Niners offensive side that I want to see, like, go off. I want to see George Kittle just beast on the Rams. That's the guy when George Kittle gets the ball, especially in the open field, he is so dangerous to stop. Like imagine having that alongside Debo Samuel, this Niners attack is a lot more potent than people give it credit for. Yeah. I think Elijah Mitchell might, as of right now, is probably the best pick in last year's draft class. Yeah. Uh, uh, outside the first round, I'm like guaranteed Micah Parsons probably still owns that one, but he's been so good for this team in every facet. And I think that, He's a key, right? They can get the run game going. Keep that that defense off the field. Keep keep that keep keep Matt Stafford off the field, right? Don't let Cooper Cup on the field. Their their secondary is their weak spot. They're gonna have to double him defensively. I think they'll get more again as well as the Rams line held up on the Bucks past rush last week. JPP and Shaq Barrett got nothing. Villavea did a, did it, wasn't superstar level like we normally see from him. Right, Nick Bosa, Rick Armstead, Javon Kinlaw, among others, need to get DeFord need to get involved here and get pressure. Fred Warner needs to be that leader in the middle of the line, and Dre Greenlaw, Jimmy Ward, Quan Alexander. Like this defense needs to step up. Ambry Thomas has been good. He's not a legit number one. Corners their weak spot on this defense. They're gonna have to address it in the offseason. But they got to stop Cooper Cup. You stop Cooper Cup, you win the game pretty much. Yeah. Again, the other, the only scenario where on offense, offensively they stop Cooper, but Cooper Cup hasn't been held to has been held to under what ninety yards once or twice the whole season. 
You should, to me, it's keep Cooper Cup out of the end zone, right? I, I'm fine with him getting big plays and among that. I just need to keep him out of the end zone. Yeah. Block him, block Higby. Let let OBJ beat you. That's what it's yeah. going to want. Right, be. Now let's move on to the uh, home team, the Rams. They have, as aforementioned, they have not beat the Niners. Fared well against the Niners. Let's just say it what it is. And, yeah. and Mitch, how do the Rams exercise the demon that is the San Francisco 49ers? They had a really gritty win last week against the Bucs. It wasn't easy, and they made plays when they need to. But how do they win this? How do they finally put the Niners in their place? They don't beat themselves, right? The Rams' worst enemy, and we've said this the whole time, they could have lost in round one to the Cardinals. They could go all the way. They have to stop beating themselves, right? They were up 27-3 in the third quarter last week. Brady came back only for Matt Gay to win on a field goal after a zero blitz was called, and Antoine Winfield was one-on-one with Cooper Cup over the middle. But they, they need to find a way to limit their mistakes. Stafford played well last week. Cooper Cup had a good game. OBJ, among others, but... Cam Akers had two yards of carry on 24 carries. They had four fumbles. Like, and the Bucs only scored two touchdowns on those on those drives. Bucks scored another touchdown or two. Rams are at home right now. You can't have that happen. You got to play mistake three football. The team that's going to make less mistakes in this game is going to win. And frankly, I think that might be the 49ers. Yeah, 100%. The Niners are a very well-run team. And Nico Ryan is one of the best defensive coordinators in football. This Niners... They're gonna, you know, they're gonna be speeding yeah. up ways to force the Rams to make mistakes because they have been prone to do that in both the passing game and the running game. And you talk yeah. about the defensively, Rams. they play pretty sound though. Like defensively, they haven't made so many mistakes. Well, you said like one thing you said the Rams have made themselves. Rams have been really bad this season at closing games out it's against the Niners in Week 18. They had a lead and they lost in overtime. And the, the Niners got the, Bucks, in, the Niners got in the playoffs, and that's why we're having this conversation right now. Right, and the Rams had to stop being their own worst enemy, and that's the thing that goes to like a credit to like Sean McVay. McVay seems like a guy who overthinks things a little too much, and he's always been a great coach, but he seems like a guy that maybe tries to do a little too much. And I think the Rams need to sort of just play it. They just play their game. I think there's no reason they can't win this game, and I expect I want Matthew Stafford to absolutely have a huge game and make it to the Super Bowl in his first season in LA. How great of a story would that be? That would be from, a great like, story. You throw ev- that, that that's a Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors story. You throw everything in, you go all out and you make it. Right? You trade for Von Miller, you brought OBJ. They gotta get this off. They gotta get this run game working too, right? Cam Akers obviously come back from an Achilles injury six months ago. Like that's ridiculous in itself. But like you need to get him go. Two yards of carry isn't gonna cut it. And two fumbles on 48 yards isn't gonna cut it. Bring it like use Michelle Wright. You did it well for a couple games when Henderson was out, and even when they were playing together. Use Michelle effectively to get your run game going. You open up stuff for Matt Pat, Staff in the passing game. Get Cooper Cup open. Force them to play seven or eight in the box. Get Cup one-on-one. Okay, Mitch. Who do you got? You know what, Sam? I got the San Francisco 49ers going back to the Super Bowl for the second time in three years. Are we is are we seeing another Chiefs Niners Super Bowl? Is that what you're telling me? I think we're going to see it. I think the Niners are going to find a way to limit this Rams offense. They haven't lost to them in three years. I don't. I, I think they can get seven. I think Jimmy G plays well enough. I think Kittle goes off. I think Elijah Mitchell does what he needs to do. As much as I'd love to see the Rams in the Super Bowl, I think Jimmy G leads them back. It makes for an intriguing quarterback situation next year in San Francisco. 
Oh, I love the controversy, but I got the Rams. Bears is playing just great football all around, and I feel confident in Matthew Stafford that he's going to get the job done. I think the fans finally put the Niners back, send the Niners home, put get over that hump. I really think they were in the best position as a roster to make a Super Bowl run. This is their year, and I think they're going to follow through with it. I think the Rams are going to limit their mistakes. They're going to play tight-knit football, and Cooper Cup is going to go off. And I think OBJ is going to have a big game for that. And I think also got to look out for Ben Jefferson. I think they'll also have a big game. They so do well. I got the Rams. And the absolute so, That concludes our, our NFL championship preview. Now time for our favorite section. It's time for the – Hawk of the day. Mitch, should I start off today? I think you should start off today, Sam. Today, Andrew Blunquist of the New York Rangers is getting his number retired tonight. If you are a Rangers fan listening, I, Andrew Blunquist was one of was my favorite Ranger growing up. I've watched him so many times in, in person and on TV. He's one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. It's an absolute pleasure hmm. and honor to watch him play the saves he made what he did for the city i am so disappointed he couldn't end it with a cup and i'm so annoyed that i can't be at the garden tonight to watch it to be there in person to watch my from one of my idols get his number retired but the kick king we love you congratulations on a well-deserved career and your number will be immortalized in ranger history for all eternity congrats to henrik lungfist Wow, that sounds like it was pain. That sound painful. That sounds like sound like it was painful for you to say as an Islander fan. It is, but you know, <laughs> he played well enough and well enough to deserve that from that team. All right, my hawk of the day, uh, guys. Be careful what you say, especially when you're recording. Whether or not you say anything wrong or not, just remind you that people in social media will take it out of context, regardless. Mina Kimes yesterday on ESPN, when talking about the 49ers or the Rams preview. And I quote this, Jimmy G is like the kid in the group project who did nothing but still got the A. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but you can't, like, again, as much as whether or not she's wrong in her assessment or not, uh, everyone's going to take that out of context and call you out on it. Jeff Garcia called her out. Dave Fortney called her, called her out. Brock Danerlovsky did that for whatever reason. He backed her up, though. A lot of the ESPN people are backing her up. Just reminder that someone will always... Look before you leap, my friends. People will always take your words out of context. So be one prepared to, to explain yourself and stand by your opinions. Nothing wrong with what you said, but people will take it out of context. Yeah. All right. And that concludes our Friday episode, our NFL preview, our face-off Friday. Uh, hope everyone enjoys watching some hockey, some basketball, and championship football, championship weekend for football. CBS is the first game at three at 3 630 for the NFC championship on Fox. For all of us here at the Highland Sock, I am Mitch Wolf. I am Sam Kitchis. Good, uh, good evening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for joining in. And we will we'll see you next time on Monday. We will have a recap of all our NFL games as long as some more NFL, fun NFL segments talking about the coaching carousel and potential QB rumors going in. We're excited about that. Sam, and I, are play, Sam and I are playing GM on Monday. Uh, we will see you next time on the, the Highland Sock.